Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? I mean, you, you, your focus and your work is relationships. My focus is on career pivoting. And when I work, work with folks in careers, we have the same exact conversation. Who are you? What do you want? What are your goals? What are your passions? What are you good at? And so this self-exploration around who are we and knowing ourselves first is the foundation for all the things that we do. Hi, welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo and love sex and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about the first steps towards opening up an existing relationship, entering into or initiating an open relationship. Because as this country begins the phases of opening up from the quarantine, we've been hearing from folks who are in the first phases of opening up their relationships, or who are looking for an open relationship, or who are trying to mend the damage from a less than ideal opening up process. Absolutely. And open relationships have been a part of the zeitgeist for a while now, especially in the last couple of years. We've definitely noticed, I mean, I, as a relationship coach who focuses on this stuff, I've definitely seen an increase in um, inquiries um, now from all over the world. I actually had a phone call this morning from Finland. Um, so open relationships are becoming more and more part of our everyday lives. Uh, people are talking about them a lot more. Um, it's definitely becoming more of an option. So it's that's, that part of it is great. Um, I think the next phase of this, what I'm seeing a lot of is when somebody says they want to be in an open relationship or when somebody says they want to open up a relationship and the other person agrees, there's that moment of joy. There's a moment of celebration. <laughs> They're like, yay, everybody wants an open relationship. Awesome. That's it. All the work is done. We've done yeah, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're good now. Yeah, we won the lottery. We won the relationship lottery. We both <laughs> want an open relationship and that moment fades quite quickly um (laughs) when (laughs) unfortunately i should be more optimistic that moment um sometimes fades quickly when you get into the detail of what you want the open relationship to look like right because often because we tend to have a one way of thinking about monogamy and we think that monogamy exists just the one way, we also apply that that logic to open relationships and we think there's only one way to be in an open relationship. Yet, quite quickly, it becomes obvious to people that they might actually want something different. So that's definitely something that we want to talk a lot about. Which is interesting because with even within the monogamous space and structure, there are different definitions of what cheating is. We, mm-hmm. in that conversation never happens, right? So some folks, if you think about someone else that's cheating, if you flirt with someone else that's cheating, if you go to a strip club that's cheating, but if you have sex with someone, if you kiss someone, if you, and so if you, if, if in one person's mind, flirting is cheating and the other person intercourse is cheating, mm-hmm. then they may need to get on the same page. And right. similarly in non-monogamous relationships, if for one person being able to have a hookup or a one night stand at a party is what open means. And the other means having a full relationship where they split their living time between two people. Open clearly means two different things to those two different people and they should have that. Yes. Yeah. That's a conversation that really needs to be had, you know, and everything in between, you know, those are the two extreme ends. Like somebody just wants to hook up versus somebody wants a full on relationship. And there's a whole bunch of ver- variations and ver- versions of that in, in the middle um, that you just need to get on the same page. It can be difficult sometimes. Also, people change what people think it is changes. So, for example, when you say you want an open relationship and in your head you're thinking about, oh, I just want a bunch of hookups, you then assume that's what your partner wants as well. So you gear yourself up towards like, oh, I want an open relationship because I imagine that means that we're just hooking up with people randomly every now and then. And then when it becomes a, when it, when the other person makes different requests or have different desires, then people can sometimes like backpedal and be like, no, 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 that's not what I want. That's not what I want. And that's not what I want an open relationship. So before you even attempt to open up, we need to stop, pause, reflect on many, many things. And this is what we're going to talk about today. And, and one of those things is definitely what does open relationship mean to you? 
I think the other thing that that is important for us to explore today is when we think about opening up, and as we should, we think about the good things, right? We're going to get new connections. We're going to get some new relationship energy and flirty energy. We're going to get to meet new people. And that is incredibly exciting. I think the, the part that people do not necessarily realize is that what it will bring up for you personally and what it will bring up for the relationship. And so I think what we want to focus on today, and if you join us on Wednesday, the 24th of June, what we're going to be exploring in even more detail is being able to understand some of those things in advance so they don't catch you by surprise. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. I I mean, um, one of the things I tell people is not to, you know, when you are bringing this up with your partner, it's not to go into this like evangelizing mode and and talk about how amazing it's going to be and and talk about only the good things. Um, Because if that's the only thing that you can think of, you can only think of all the good things and you can't think of a single worry, a single concern, a single point of pause. My guess is that you haven't thought it through. Uh, because this is a big change for anybody. And um, if you are in a relationship, um, opening up a relationship is very similar to turning on stadium-sized floodlights onto your relationship, which was previously probably dimly lit. Imagine that your relationship is a home that is dimly lit and it has been dimly lit for years. And there has been, there are things in the home that you don't see anymore. There are the dust bunnies in the corners and the stains on the couch and the room that you may, maybe you stop going into because that's kind of where you throw all the things that you, you may need one day, but not really going to deal with that right now. And so you, you know, you're happily living, living in this home and then you decided to open up your relationship. Imagine now that you turn on all the brightest lights. In fact, you bring in some extra floodlights from the outside. You plug them all in. You turn them all on. Now you see your home in bright, bright light. You see all the dust bunnies and all the scratches on the walls and the stains on the on the couches that you haven't dealt with. Do you approach the door of th- the door to the room of things that haven't been handled and the mail that hasn't been sorted? And and now that's what you're dealing with. And it is really, really, really important to get your house in order before you invite anybody else in there. Um, because all the things that those stains, those dust bunnies are going to become very irritating very, very soon. They're going to become annoying. All the unsaid things are going to come to the surface. All the, 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 the conversations that have been ignored are going to st- suddenly become very pressing issues. All the... Um, scratches on the walls, the things that you said to one another that was once hurtful and was never had closure are going to suddenly become wounds, um, open wounds. Um, and that is just what this kind of change does to relationships. And that's, you know, opening up is a big, big change. Like Jackie said, on Wednesday, June 24th, we are going to go and work with people on, we're going to walk through their houses and we're going to point at the dust bunnies and we're going to point at the the stains on the couch and we're going to suggest ways to clean up, to tidy up, to organize, to to feel really good in that house with the floodlights on so that when you start to invite people, you know where you can host them, you know how you can feed them, you know where you can have space on your own, where you can create space with others. And that's what we're going to work on, on on Wednesday, June 24th. And today we just want to talk about a little bit, a little bit about what that looks like, what that process looks like. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, you know, you were talking, which I love this analogy of the house and the dust now that it is. So right now, depending on when you're listening into the future, we are in, in June, in New York City, Anthony and I are separate spaces in Brooklyn. We're still in the midst of, of COVID-19 quarantine. And mm-hmm. there are moments of this beautiful daylight that will shine through the window and onto my furniture, at which point I will find pockets of dust that I did not see before or strands of hair on the floor that I did not see before and then become obsessed with as I am on my Zoom calls, inevitably staring at these piles of dust or hair and needing to clean them. And in the same way, that is, that's really true to the process of what happens with opening up, not only in relationships, but for yourself, your own house, your own personal house. I have been through the opening up process now three times. So in my, my first marriage, uh, my, my marriage now, and then now in my other partnership, um, and each time, not only did that process certainly reveal some of the 
struggles that were pre-existing within the relationship that needs to be nav- navigated through. But more than that, it revealed my own stuff, mm-hmm. my own fears, my own uh, avoidance of conflict or my own trauma, my own attachment issues. All of my stuff came to the surface. And as you and I have continued to do this work, we root everything that we do in the first step, which is knowing thyself. Because you got to clean your own house first. <laughs> yeah, you totally do. And 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 just as an, as a sentiment, you know, when we talk about know thyself, I I like to refer back. This idea of know thyself is so old. Like the earliest Socrates, Plato, like the early philosophers to to Buddhism to any kind of teaching goes back to 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 Rumi to Sufism. It always goes back to the same place, which is which is to know thyself. It is so so provo- profound, and although it seems like a simple notion, it is complex. It's it's complex to understand what does it mean to know thyself. Sometimes it could be a lifelong practice of getting to know yourself, and really understanding who you are, where you come from, how you show up. And one of the things that, if you want to create a relationship by design, which is our goal, as opposed to a relationship by default, which is something that we kind of just wake up in. Um, You really need to understand those things about yourself. And one of the things I think we want to create, both in this training that we're going to do, and also chat here about what is the context, what are the areas that you want to know about yourself, to to want to become clear about yourself, that is going to be relevant to your relationship structure? Not only to your point, is it the first step for relationships, but honestly, it's anything. I mean, you, you, your focus and your work is relationships. My focus is on career pivoting. And when I work, work with folks in careers, we have the same exact conversation. Who are you? What do you want? What are your goals? What are your passions? What are you good at? And so this self-exploration around who are we and knowing ourselves first is the foundation for all the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And so there are three questions that we are going to invite you to ask yourself today we're going to go through further when when Effie and I co-facilitate on the 24th. And those three questions are, who am I and what do I want? How does my past impact my present? And how do I communicate my desires and my needs? And so I'm wondering if you can go through that a little bit. Let's go through some of the details. What does that even mean? Right, right. Who am I? Such a big, such a big question. Who am I? <laughs> um, who am I and what do I want? Um, so I think the most important thing about that particular question is to to start with, you are an individual that exists with your own story, your own narrative, your own history. Before you even get into the details of it all, you really need to recognize yourself as an individual. Often just because of the way that we parent in the West, just because our social structures have been set up the way they have, we don't get the pause, the developmental period from having our needs met and being taken care of by our parents to then going into a relationship where we also get, you know, where we also um, need to work towards getting our needs met and, and being taken care of or taking care of the other person. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But because we don't get that, often there isn't a pause where you actually do that things for yourself that like you don't sort of go, I am taken care of and my needs are met by my parents to now I am an individual in the world and I will do those things for myself to now I'm in a relationship and I will carry on doing those things and get to a place of mutuality where your part, my partner or partners and I will do it for each other and be in, be in support roles to one another. Um, because that middle step is missing, the one of the most important things to think about with when you're thinking, who am I and what do I want, is to, to recognize, to really physically in your body, recognize, recognize yourself as an individual that, that exists with your own needs and wants and desires and narratives and history. And that could be, frankly, in opposition to everything you've heard up until this point, right? So we are, depending on your gender identity, depending on your culture, selflessness may be a high tenant and a core value, right? To be selfless is, 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 is such a compliment. And essentially that means void of self. Mm-hmm. And so in many spaces and places, we have been taught to prioritize other people's needs, to drown out our internal desires because they are not appropriate or they are, they're, they're just not a good fit for the particular family or community or tribe that we are a part of. And so as a result of that, we have been conditioned actually not to pay attention to ourselves. Mm-hmm. As children, we're told, we're listened to our parents, we're listened to grownups, and then somehow magic dust should fall from the sky at the age of 18, and we should suddenly understand who we are and what we want and be able to make adult decisions. And, and for many of us, we were not taught to 
listen to ourselves and to go through that process. And as adults now, we're learning how to do that. Yes, yes. And and sometimes we learn how to do that in relationship with other people, but also trying to figure out for themselves. Yes. So it's a, it's a bit of a shit show sometimes. Yes. No, it's so true. That is actually, that's a better definition of opening up me. I'm trying to learn about myself while you're learning about yourself while we're inviting other people in who are learning about themselves and, and, and none of us are necessarily doing it well all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's a hard, I think I, you know, like, who am I is such a, like a big existential question. It's hard to reflect on that stuff. So we kind of need to, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to put this training in place is to give people some tools and ways of thinking about it. And and although we will take people through a system, a way of thinking about it, there are other ways of deconstructing who you are, what you want in the world in a way that it like it provides this point of reflection. And it makes sense that you might need a bit of structure to 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 reflect on something like this because it's so such an existential question, you know. And then also just take that to the next step. As we recognize ourselves as an individual, hopefully in that exercise, we also realize our partner as an individual with their own story, with their own narratives, with their own history, with their own triggers, with their own um, sources of joy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because sometimes, um, again, the way that our society is set up, the way that we view monogamy, the way that we move, uh, view marriage, the way that we move love, that there is inherent enmeshment in the way that view any kind of coupling, you know, mostly coupling, of course, when we step out of that more, but that enmeshment is essentially where you lose the edges of yourself and you kind of run into one another. The way I think about it when, when we talk about things like codependency, um, is when you just, when you don't know where you end and the other person starts, when you are so enmeshed that you see them as an extension of yourself or they see you as an extension of themselves and the, the individual existence is kind of eroded. And within that, there is no space. There is no healthy space that you can create to be those individuals that you need to be to then show up for the relationship and to co-create. If you are enmeshed, you can't co-create. You're not, you're in the same, in order to co-create, there needs to be collaboration of sort of two whole separate entities. And so if you want to get into a creative space and you want to co-create a relationship by design, you need that space, you need that separation. And you need more of that separation if you want to open up, open space up for other people as well. And that to me is a distinction between what you said earlier around relationship by design versus relationship by default. And I'm sure that many people have woken up at some point and realized that they were in a relationship that they did not design, mm-hmm. that, that they are doing routines, that there is a family, that there is a, you know, a, a chore chart on the kitchen wall mm-hmm. and there is a life that has been built, but whether or not that life is really in alignment with who they are and what they want or even their partners, that's probably, I think there's many situations where people may be in partnerships where the relationship is really rooted around the other person's needs. And worse yet, if both folks are in a relationship or multiple people in relationships, and it's actually not rooted in any of their needs, but it is rooted in whatever the the definition of what they believed relationship to be. Right, right. And whether or not, and we should note this and we continue to do in all of our, whether or not you are actually interested in non-monogamy. This process is important. Understanding who you are and what you want and co-creating a relationship of any design, monogamous or not monogamous, is incredibly important for you to be to, to, to thrive, to be joyful. Exactly, exactly. And this idea of relationship by default is so easy because it's a part of our noise. We talk about this noise all the time. You just get on the conveyor belt. Yeah. You allow it to take you where, right? We date, we fall mm-hmm. in love, we get married, we have, you know, buy the house, we have kids, we buy the bigger house. Like it's pre-planned out. It's preordained. We just follow the path. We don't have to do much thinking. And if you want that life, and I let me say, I also have that life. So let me, mm-hmm. if that's not a bad thing. And the right. details around how to do that well, or whether or not you want that at all, we, we are trying to create and insert spaces for choice. Exactly, exactly. And the, the, the relationship by default is, like Jackie said, if it works for you, great. The sort of waking up in a relationship that seems perfect from the outside, yet doesn't, with our, doesn't align with, with all the things that we want, is also not a sustainable one. It's lonely. It's lonely. Yes. It's certainly lonely and it's not sustainable. And if it is sustainable, it is, it is a lonely experience. Okay. So we're going to talk about who am I and what, what do I want? 
the next question that we want to talk, the one I sort of uh, explore to unpack is, um, how does my past impact my present? Sometimes we react to things based on autopilot, based on habit, based on things that are patterns from the past, things that have been um, that had happened to us in the past that we've kind of decided that's how we cope with them and we haven't updated those those strategies. One extreme, it could be um, traumas, either big T trauma, something major happened and it affected you and you kind of got stuck. You, your response to that trauma sort of got stuck and is now ruling your life. Um, that's like one end of that spectrum. And the other end is just family dynamics, the family home that you grew up in, specific dynamics that got you to think that that is what relationships look like. That is the only way relationships look like. That is how uh, people relate to one another. That's how they show and receive love. It's what love looks like. Um, and now we've, we have that knowledge and we don't necessarily realize that we're coming from a past place, but we are handling our current relationship with that blueprint, with that with that belief system that was created many, many years ago. And we're now projecting it onto our current relationship and reacting to whatever is happening from that place, right? So Estelle Burrell talks about how you are loved is how, how you are loved is how you love. And I, you know, it's something that I say in, in sessions all the time. That's where we start. Mm -hmm. It's, it is when there may be history of fears of abandonment or fears of, uh, being suffocated and like overconsumed or a fear of lack of trust, and all of these things could be things that were a part of our history, a part of our childhood, a part of past relationships. And we bring those fears and that lack of trust into our new relationship. And so there's suspicion when there doesn't need to be. There is fear when there doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. And it is because we are, we, the person who we're with becomes a proxy yeah. for all of our old relationships. And we are bringing the baggage from all those things into this new relationship. Absolutely. I had a session with a client yesterday. She and her husband have been together for 28 years, 28 mm. years relationship. And she says with her own words, he has given me no reason. I have no evidence that I should doubt him. Never, not, not a lie, no transgression, always in integrity, man of his word, not a single reason I can show you, not a single evidence I can give you that he's going to lie to me, leave me or do things behind my back. Yet I wake up every morning, I imagine the worst. And that has nothing to do with that relationship. You know, we, we talked about it and, you know, it's to do with the, the household that she grew up in. It's to do with the, um, the inconsistency that she saw from her father, that he would say one thing and not show up and he was in and out of the house. So that's a decision and a belief system that got installed back then. And 28 years of the contrary, it's still not changing that for her. And it's the work that we're doing right now. And that is such a great example of an example of how a, pa a past experience is affecting what's happening right here and today with our current relationship. And it's a beautiful illustration, I think, also around the distinction between the work that we need to do on ourselves and the work that we expect of our partners. Honestly, that story resonates with me. I have issues with trust and it is not from any evidence from my, my partners. I mean, my partner now, we're in the process of, of, of opening up. Um, she started to see somebody about six, six weeks ago, two months ago. And throughout the process, she has been nothing but honest and proactive and loving and all those things. And I still, even after the years of work that I've done in this field and, and all that, still have concerns and it has nothing to do with her. It has to do with my history. It has to do with my trauma. It has to do with my past experiences. And so as a result of that, what I would have done in the past was make her continue to prove herself. Mm -hmm. continue to remind me that you love me, continue to remind me that we're safe, do this, do that, follow this rule and this guideline. And I know now enough that this is not, this is not a her issue. This is not an mm -hmm. us issue. This is something that I need to work through on my own. And so I'm doing that with therapy. I'm doing that in a few different modalities. But I think that that example that you gave is, is, is fantastic because it both illustrates that our past does impact our present. And then instead of uh, in, in making sure that our current partners carry the burden of our past and our history and our trauma, that it is actually our responsibility to do the work. And that's what we're talking about today is how do you do the work? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And we should also note that sometimes 
those experiences from our past has affected our partner choice. So you might be seeing similarities. You might be seeing patterns of where you, that, that mimic the household that you come from, right? It, because those, those experiences, if we don't, if we don't bring awareness to them, if we don't understand them, if we don't really understand those drivers, if we don't understand what is it that we're trying to prevent, which often comes from the place of what we try to prevent, what we fear, that we might find ourselves in relationships with people that we have chosen, but we have kind of defaulted to because that's what that's the only way that we know. That we only way that we know is is that love looks like people who are not available or love looks like people who, you know, um, cling to you uh, for their dear lives because love looks like people who um, don't communicate very well, you know, silence in the house. Like no, everyone's civil, no one's having arguments, but they're also not having any conversations of, of, of any sort of any meaningful conversations. So it, it is fair to say you might be living out those past experiences over and over again, because you might, your partner choice might be affected by your experiences. It's a great point. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't make any changes right now, here and today. You can't make different choices within the same relationship with the same partner, you know, and see, and see what happens. And, and honestly, the work is the same. If you continue to get to know yourself, which is the first question, who am I and what do I want? If you understand how your past impacts your present, then both of those things, both using some of the tools to be reflective in both those areas will help you make different partner choices, will help you realize the patterns that you have been falling into and then do something to interrupt that pattern. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and realize that only you will do the work on yourself. And you can't make expectations. You can't have expectations for other people to do work. They, if they're not ready to it, if they don't want to do it, um, you do need to stick with stick with it and really get to know yourself and then um, understand um, how those experiences are affecting your, your, your life today. And once you figure this stuff out, right? Once you figure out who am I, what do I want? And how, how does my past impact my present? Then how do I then communicate my desires and needs to the people that need to know about them, right? And people can't read minds and you need to find ways of communicating wants and needs and desires and triggers in a way that works for everyone. So you need to understand communication styles that align. Also, you need to have both communication skills as well as influence and enrollment skills to make it happen for you. You know, one of the things that I loved, um, I really recommend that if you, especially if you want to know more about attachment, I really recommend that you check out, I want to say episode 23, maybe with Angie Gunn um, about attachment and attachment patterning and, and sexual expression. She talks about attachment in a beautiful way there. Episode 24. Episode 24. Nice. Angie goes into detail around what attachment actually is, and then what are the steps for, we start to talk, explore, how do you communicate it? What does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that she says that I absolutely love is, ask for everything that you want all the time and expect nothing. And I think that's a beautiful foundation for communication. And if that's where you can, if you can, if you can get there, that by the way, that is also hyper ninja level, like this is ninja level (laughs) communication, like being aware of all the things that you want, being comfortable, expressing it all the time and having no attachment to the things that you're saying that you want in the world. That is nirvana level, ninja level communication. So that's kind of where we're trying to get to. When you do that, you want it to be able to have, you want to be clear. You also um, need to, I call them um, enrollment skills. Um, there are ways of asking for things that go over better, you know, um, and these, this is not to sort of set up any manipulative dynamics, but understanding your partner, or your partner's communication dials, um, might be able to get you to a place when you're asking for things, when you're making requests in a way that can be responded to better. So for example, if your partner struggles with long conversation, when maybe you want to approach things little and often you know, or, you know, to, to maybe deal with one thing. If your partner gets overwhelmed easily, maybe you're dealing with one thing at a time, whether, or maybe you and your partner are very, very structured people. You're able to be pragmatic. You know, you set up a a Sunday morning meeting where you show up to your coffee table with notes. And uh, if it was Jackie flip chart paper (laughs) and really like hash things out, you know, whatever that is, you figure out, you know, how are you going to communicate your desires and your needs and all the other parts that make you who you are and, and how you show up in relationships and you, you communicate those things. 
Yeah. So let's, I, I, I would actually love to just jump into some of that stuff. I, I want to note as, as a coach, as an educator, one of the things that when I go to trainings or when I read things and it feels like there's information and inspiration, but nothing that helps me with implementation, it makes me feel so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so we, I, we don't want to just say, go figure out who you are. figure out what happened in your past and figure out how to talk about it. Because if I was on the other side, if I was listening and this was me again, three years ago, seven years ago, 17 years ago, when I first got married, I was like, how though, but but how, so go get your paper and pen. We're going to talk right now about, about some of the how, and if you want to get into more detail, you're going to join us on the 24th of June and we're going to go into it more, but we're gonna give you some steps right now as to how. So the first, remember there's three questions that we're inviting you to, to ask yourselves, who am I and what do I want? How does my past impact my present? How do I communicate my desires and my needs? So that first question, who am I and what do I want? I mean, we're joking about this, but this is true. That question is the question (laughs) that we've all been trying to answer since the beginning of time. Who am I and what do I want? And the answer to to that question is difficult because number one, we are ever evolving. Mm-hmm. So who am I right now and what do I want right now is different than who I, I am in a year from now and two years from now and three years from now. And when we make commitments to other people, that is also a moment of time. One thing, you know, you quoted Esther Perel earlier and, and, and something that she says that I love is that we don't own each other at best. We are on loan with an annual renewal. Mm-hmm. And that is the way I want to think about my relationships is that I want us to continue to be able to check in. That's something that you as a relationship coach talk about all the time, doing relationship check-ins For and sure. health checks yeah, regularly. Yeah. How are we? Do you still choose to be here? Do I still right. choose to be here? Like, right, where are we right, at? Right, are we good? Right. So the first reason why answering the question, who am I and what do I want is, is hard is because we continue to evolve. True, true. By the way, I just want to do a little interlude there. If I had my own way, um, marriages would dissolve automatically every five years if you don't renew them. Wow. Think about that. Think about that as an option. Because we right now, we get married, it's for life. Yeah. I would be interested to see what society looks like if we got married and it dissolved automatically every five years if you just don't renew. And, you know, it doesn't have to be hard to renew. You can file an online petition um, and you have it renewed. But I am interested in wh- how our attitude was, attitudes would change if if it's something that we actively have to renew every five years, just putting it out there. We should have a whole episode just on marriage. I mean, I have my, my feelings about marriage has evolved over the course of my life. And, you know, when you're in love with multiple people, that makes it even more challenging to to think about the structure of marriage. And so we should bookmark that for future selves. Future us need to dive into the topic of marriage. Yeah. Totally. The institution of marriage. Um, I will do a whole episode on that. (laughs) Yes. The (laughs) etymology of land ownership and person ownership. And so, so again, the first question, who am I? What do I want? That question is the question. It's been hard to answer it because we're ever evolving. And the second, what we said earlier, it's highly impacted by what we believe is possible for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Who we are and, and what we want is limited by or expanded to what we believe is possible. Mm-hmm. And so if that means that, and, and we encourage this all the time that you're changing the noise and that you are looking for stories and looking at examples of people who live very different than you to give yourself some inspiration and permission to see your possibility as different, then that will impact who you believe that you are and, and what you want out of life. And so we're going to talk through quickly some categories for you to think through in this process. But as you're doing that, there are three things for you to consider as you're thinking about each of these categories. Number one, what have your patterns been in those areas? That is different than who you are. So who I am is fixed, right? And, and, and I know we're saying like who I am and what do I want, but we want to link, couch that in the language of evolution. So instead of maybe who I am, it's what has my pattern been? And then you can decide if you want to continue down that path or not. So what has my pattern been in these particular areas that we're going to talk about? If anything was possible, what would you want? If anything in the world could be opened up, we, we were having this conversation right before the podcast where we were talking about the ways in which we could live. In thinking about what's possible, I think about a dream that I've had since I was a child and looking at the lives of, of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera and how they lived in two separate homes with a bridge that adjoined them. And that is the life that I would want. But I didn't know that that was the thing that's possible. Now, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't had the means to quite get to the two homes with the bridge in the middle yet. 
But knowing what is possible and knowing what's possible for yourself, these of you listening to other people's stories and seeing what other people are doing in their lives is really important. So as, as I talk through these categories, think about those three things. What have my patterns been in this area? What is possible for myself? And then what am I willing to work on or work towards? You and I talk about this all the time too. Like if there's not willingness, then there's not stamina to get there. And so thinking about what do you have the willingness to actually achieve and go after in your life. Absolutely. I think it's so important. It, it's I, I say this to people all the time. I can guide and facilitate and support people through a lot of things, especially around relationships. One thing I don't have a solution for, the one thing I don't have a magic stick for or, or a pill for is willingness. That is something that comes entirely from within. And you that willingness has to come from within with an understanding of what's important to you not willingness because you want to do it for the other person you really need to even if you're doing it for the other person you need to be very anchored in not essentially what is in it for you what what is the thing that centers you in the story not just become not that is not as a as a supporting as a support role um so i think that willingness is really key um and the other thing is people ask questions around like will it work if one person is monogamous and the other person is non-monogamous or will it work if if it's a long distance relationship will it work if this will it work if, if that my answer is always the same the answer is yes yes it will work because I, I have faith in in humanity and the way that we are that we can adapt and make anything work the question is not will it work the question is are you willing to do the amount of work required to make it work is it worth to you the effort to get the thing that you want yeah yeah. So some categories that you can think of when you're thinking about who am I and what do I want are think about your emotional life, your love languages, how you feel and you show love, your emotional map, if you will. What does it look like when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're joyful? Like, and, and, and how do you get there? How do you emotionally regulate yourself? What does emotional intimacy look like for you? How do you, can you, and, and, and are you able to hold space for other people in their emotional times? Can you tolerate discomfort for yourself and for others? So thinking about yourself as an emotional being first. Again, what is, what is the type of emotional space that you want to be in? What is the type of emotional home relationship and interaction and connection? Sitting with that, what have your patterns been? What do you believe is possible? What do you want for yourself? And what are you willing to work towards in terms of your emotional self? Thinking about your spiritual self. Is faith and religion and a belief system, is that something that's important to you? Um, rituals in your life that are surrounded around spirituality, ideas that you have around your connection to the universe or higher power, ideas around how you want to either live or raise children in regards to faith or religion, thinking again about what are your spiritual desires, what are your spiritual wants, and how does that impact how you show up in relationship and, and, and for yourself? Thinking about your intellectual self. How do you think and how does your brain process information? Effie and I constantly have this conversation mm -hmm. because our brains are constantly open and on and processing. And sometimes that works for people that we're with. And sometimes that doesn't work mm -hmm. for people that totally we're with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm currently, I'm currently uh, at the, the initial stages of a new relationship. And I, this idea of an intellectual connection is news to this new person in my life he is completely confounded by the fact that an intellectual connection is a thing and currently finds it intense so we'll see how that turns out but uh you know for some people it's, it's super important that, it, that i know for me and i know it's for you um jackie is to be aligned in the way we th we don't have to think of the same we don't have to have the same ideology uh we don't have to have the same uh we don't have to believe in the same things I think for me, just alignment in the way we think and alignment in the way that we hold space for each other's ideas and that ideas are a part of our relationship. The, the sort of the, the ideation process and the way that we approach a life with a similar semi-logical, semi-pragmatic way is, is aligned, essentially. Yeah. So uh, exactly that. How does your brain think? What, what, what type of intellectual connection or stimulation do you need? Do you want to talk about the news and, and politics and the world together? Do you want to talk about aspects of personal growth? Do you want to talk about the future? What are the things that, that in conversation, in communication style, where you find yourself being curious and wanting to lean into? And is that what is important to you just as an individual? And then understanding where is that a match potentially in some of your relationships? 
Similarly around values, when we're talking about matching, right? How do you determine what the priorities are in your life? What are your values that matter to you? Money, family, autonomy, connection, and then understanding that your values and your needs, that they're going to be tied together. So what are the core tenets that frame your thinking and behavior, those core values, getting real clear about that for yourself. When it comes to your profession, your work, your career, how do you feel about your work? Does it feed you? How much time and energy do you spend working? I know that I have, I go through ebbs and flows and for much of my life, I have associated my work with part of my identity and my impact. And so I will spend days and hours and and long periods of time doing work and someone who, and that's something I need to know for myself and someone who's partner with me would need to know. We think about that in terms of our domestic lives. So what kind of home environment do we want to create and live in? What kind of environment do we want to thrive in? Do we want to have children? Do we want to live near extended family? What do we want from our social lives? Do we enjoy spending social time with other people, friends, families, dates? How much money do we want to spend on social time? Our physical selves, so our routines, our health routines, our nutrition, our exercise, and then our sexual selves, our drive, our desires, our turn-ons, our explorations, right? Our, our blueprints that we just learned from Jesse Fresh, our, our erotic blueprints, our mm-hmm. kinks. So understanding all those things and then understanding what is our vision for opening up? And we started off in that conversation. What is our vision for what it feels like to be open? Exactly. And some of the reasons why we want to be open as a part of that conversation, the vision and also in a way the mission, like we want to open up the relationship. Why? What is it that we want to create in the world? What is it that we want to create for ourselves? What is it that we want to create for the good of the the unit? And those are things that also is really important to get centered within yourself. Like why, why are you doing this? And what do you want it to look like? I think those are really important. Also, uh, just to say, when we broke up, we sort of deconstructed, if you will, um, this idea of the self through these um, headlines, right? We talked about emotional, spiritual, intellectual, values, professional, domestic, social, physical, and sexual, and then the vision. There are other ways to reflect, which if you feel confident, you know, one of the things that uh, if you do come to the training on June 24th and go through this with us as we explaining things to you, hopefully you'll walk away from not only the answers to these questions, but way of thinking, the way of deconstructing your life and you know, yourself and, and your life to get a more under, better understanding of it. You can slice it in different ways. You can slice it in family, work, health, friends, hobbies, time, places. That's another way to sort of deconstruct it. Another way might be strengths, interests, goals, values, things to avoid and joys. That's another way to dissect this. I know that when I did this exercise first, I went with my brain, my heart, my body, my people and the future. Um, That's how I dissected it. So it really depends what works for you. I think the way that we presented it, we wanted to really get into the nooks and crannies for people and allow them to think about all the different aspects of of themselves. One of the reasons being to realize you are a multifaceted person. Sometimes if you've been stuck doing a certain role, being, you know, hyper career minded or being a mother or being whatever the, the identity that you might be identifying with mostly might make you feel like you're a, a one dimensional person or maybe you even just see your partner as a one dimensional person. Um, one of the, the objectives of this exercise is also to see yourself and the, your partner or partners as multidimensional people that are navigating all these different areas of life in the way that they know best. Whatever the framework that, that works for you, it's really getting to understand those things. And from there is where you, once you have that foundational knowledge, once you have these foundational skills around to communicate this work to your, your partner, that is the place where you can open up from. So that you're opening, you're opening up um, from a place of, not from a place of lacking, but from a place of enhancing or creating. Knowing that you are whole and you are existing in this world uh, and you're dealing with these aspects of your life as best as you can, that you are now adding a new relationship or you're exploring new people um, from a place of here is who I am and I'm whole and I'm okay and I'm going out into the world to enhance, to create something new rather than here are all the issues that I have and I'm going to go out and find people to fix them or I'm going to go out and find people to make it feel better. Let's pause there for a second because I want to talk through the distinction between 
being whole and still wanting connection and partnership. Because I think that sometimes the narrative that we hear is you don't need anybody. And if you're whole on your own, like you can meet all your own needs and we shouldn't be looking for a partner to, to, to do this or to do that. And both things can be true, right? We're talking about Mm -hmm. ensuring that you are not putting the burden on other people to mend some of your wounds and hurts. Mm -hmm. And we believe that it is important to be in connection and partnership and community with other people. And so I want to take a minute just to to clarify that and to talk about that a little bit. Of course. And that is so such an important point because I think you're right that the narrative is get to a place where you're entirely self-sufficient, need no one and be, you know, be an island, right? And we also know that no man is an island. And that's just not how our species is designed. Like we're not like a cougar or a, or a, or a jaguar. They're, you know, they're like solo predators that live in the wild, um, not relying on a, on a pack system, right? We are pack animals. We are designed physiologically, mentally, emotionally to exist in small communities. Our brains can hold up to 150 connections, and those connections are uh, it gets ingrained into the, the how we how we see the world. The idea is not to be entirely self sufficient and cut off from everything else. The idea is to be self sufficient in the way that you meet your needs with the support of others, so that you are not attached to specific strategy. That you have flexibility, that you have agility in the way that you regulate yourself and the way that you meet your needs. That you're not just attached to a single person for a certain need to be met in a very specific way. For example, if you have a need for connection, and this is very like this is very rudimentary, right? So we all have a need for connection. It is just a human nature. If you can only think of a, if you the only way that you can think of to meet your need for connection is to be with your partner at that very particular time, regardless of what else is going on. That is not sustainable because you're relying on other that that is what we mean about relying on other people however if you're able to get into a place where you're like i know myself to know that what i need right now is connection and i can meet this need for connection in myriad of myriad of ways i can check in with my partner if they're available if not i can call my best friend and see if they're available i can log into a um, you know a facebook group that i find to be supportive and see what people are doing there so that you are self-sufficient in that you are figuring out how you're going to meet your need, but you're not doing it in isolation on an island. You are still enrolling people. You are still reaching out. You are still connecting. You are still engaging with others to have those needs met. But ultimately, you're figuring out all the different ways in which you can meet your needs. Yeah, there's two examples that come to me right away. One is around touch, particularly sexual touch, that I think the narrative could be, you don't need anybody else, just masturbate. It's the same. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And it's not the same. And it's okay to want physical and sexual touch from someone else. I think what Mm -hmm. we're saying is the strategy around it has to be this way or look like this or be at this time are things that we want to revisit potentially because it's about co-creation around of that need co-creation of the strategy to meet that need. Mm -hmm. There's another example that has nothing to do with relationships that many of us who um, work is really important to us. If we don't feel validated at work, if we don't feel like we're getting the impact or the feedback that we want, we may then rely on our partnerships to get more of that validation and praise. Mm -hmm. Those who love gold stars and want to hear that you're doing a great job, that if you're not getting that at work or in somewhere else in your life, you may then be expecting that from your partner. You don't tell me that I'm good enough. You don't tell me that I'm beautiful enough. You don't tell me that I'm... And that's really a need that you have for validation, which is not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but the strategy of just trying to get it from that one partner, as opposed to looking for other areas of your life to meet that need, or really reevaluating your own negative self-talk and figuring out if, that, if there's that gap because you're talking badly. And so you're hoping that someone else's praise will override your negative self-talk. It's about the strategy, but it's not that we expect everyone to do everything on their own and not do things in partnership not need things from other people or want things from other people. Right, right, right. And in fact, you know, I always make that distinction between independence and interdependence. A lot of the time we have this talk of like, I'm an independent person. I'm, you know, uh, we, we associate freedom with independence. You know, the idea is that we are by species an interdependent species. We are and our modern lives are very much interdependent. We need the mailman to bring bring our mail to us and we need the grocery store to stock up their shelves so we can do our grocery shopping. We are interdependent species-wide and we are interdependent in relationships. I think it's important to understand what that, that interdependence looks like, but it is not, there really isn't, there is no really having relationships in isolation. 
that connection is what a relationship starts with the connection. And so if you do your own personal kind of check-in of who am I and what do I want in this moment? And you get a sense from yourself, okay, these are all the things that I want. And here's the gap between what I have and what I want. Then you can determine, okay, can I meet some of these strategies on my own? Where can I meet it through friends? Can I meet it through this? And where do I actually want this from partnership? And it's okay to want those things from partnership. Mm-hmm. And, and you can decide if, if you are thinking about opening up what needs can be met within your current partnership and what needs do you want met potentially, or or what strategies are going to leverage to meet those needs in another partnership Mm -hmm. and ensure Mm -hmm. that there's alignment around that. And as we're talking about this in the next step is to think, okay, so now I have a sense of who I am and what I want. Now I got to think, well, how does my past impact my present? Mm -hmm. So I I have a snapshot in time right now of this moment of who I am and what I want how much of that is really informed by what ha- what I've experienced and what's happened to me up until this point and the relationships I've been in up until this point. And so I think that you have shared, if, if people are interested in learning more about attachment style, again, we, we encourage you to go to the episode that we did with Andy, Angie Gunn. But you talk, Effie, about a strategy of, of looking at preserve, prevent, and create that I think is a really interesting way of looking at our childhood and looking at our past relationships and thinking about our current relationships. Absolutely. I think one of the really powerful exercises that you can do with a partner or partners is to tell your story of of the way that you grew up. First of all, come up with that story, write that story for yourself to, to really sort of reflect back on what was it, what was the household I grew up like? What was it like with my, with my parents? who were the primary caregivers in my life, who were the, influ- the influencers in my life, um, what were the dynamics in the household, how were my, my parents or parents, how they showed up with each other, with themselves, towards me, all that stuff, it becomes the, the, the blueprint or the, the map to our, how we feel about relationships and how we imagine relationships to look like. So one of the, I mean, this, this is where, when I do sessions with people, that's where I start. We, we, t- you know, we talk about the current relationship and we go way back and we tell the stories of the household that we grew up in. So if you haven't done that um, with your partner or partners, I would really recommend just like telling that story. And, and if you're somebody who's, you know, and take turns and like actively listening and hold witness to what they're saying, hold space and be a witness to what they're saying. Because I think it's one, it's revealing. And two, it's one of those moments I think you really see uh, the partner, your partner separate from you and in their own experience, because you realize they just come from a very specific background um, that that is affecting their their decisions today. And when you do that, when you figure that story out for yourself, a really good exercise to do is to look at it and decide which areas of your childhood and the way that you developed that you want to preserve in your current relationship? What are the areas that really, the way that you, that your parents spoke to you or the parents that, that, that connected with you, what are the aspects of what you think a relationship is or should look like? What are those areas that you want to preserve in your relationship? Once you figure that out, the next the question to ask, what are the, what are the areas that you want to prevent from happening again? Right. So what are the areas that you found challenging that you felt was um, potentially traumatic? What are the areas that left you lacking, left you wanting, left you maybe left out things that you needed and didn't get? Right. What are the those things? What can you what are the things that you want to prevent from the childhood that you've had? And the next stage is to create. What are the things that you want to create that you didn't get to do um, in that household? What are the dynamics that you want instead? What are the rituals, um, traditions that you want to um, install in your current relationship? What are the areas that you want to have a, have a different experience? And, and really think about what is it that you want to create that is different from what you, where you come from. Doing that exercise will give you a lot of insight into how you are showing up in relationships and how you can how you can have more choices around that, right? I remember when you first shared that with me and it may have been in a podcast or maybe in an individual conversation. And I remember immediately afterwards calling my partner and saying, we have to do this. We have to have this conversation because as soon as you said it, I realized that so much of what I was doing in my relationships was rooted in prevention. Yeah, prevention is essentially fear-based. Uh, we prevent things that, 
scare us, right? Kind of logical. Um, we prevent things that that scare us. You'll be surprised once you do this sort of audit. Um, I know I remember this conversation with you. I don't know if we recorded it actually, but another place where you can do this exercise of preserve, prevent, create is when you are um, transitioning your relationship, be it from a monogamous relationship to non-monogamous relationships, from a certain type of relationship to another, any kind of transition, you can sort of think about what is it that you want to preserve from what you've had? What is it that you want to prevent it happening again? And what is it that you want to create anew um, as you're going through this new transition? I think it's powerful in the in the form of a, a childhood because it's it has such an impact on how you how we live and love today. That's absolutely true. And if the reason why we bring this up because if you are coming to that space, if you're going through the opening up process and we can tell when it's prevention mode, when someone walks in with a list of rules, mm-hmm. so you can go out, but you got to be, make sure to be home by this time. Mm-hmm. You, when you touch, you can't do this. When you touch the person, you can't do this. We can't do that. We only can talk to them via text and only on Tuesdays and only after 8 PM, but not before bedtime. Cause then you'll be distracted. Right. When there's all these rules all the rules are around prevention. Now, absolutely, I want to I talk through this because there's a difference between rules and boundaries and promises and, and guidelines. And there should be shared expectations. Mm-hmm. There should be dialogue around what are our boundaries? What will make us feel comfortable? What are some of the agreements that we will have integrity around? Mm-hmm. And those things should be around preserving the core unit, preserving uh, the, what has been created and established and what you want to create. Mm-hmm. That is very different than preventing feeling scared or left out or afraid. And if those feelings are there, it's an opportunity then to explore, to lean into it with curiosity and not with judgment. If I have, and, and I, I've, I have fallen into this trap many times where I'm like, not this day, not this time, not this thing, not that. And I have to sit back and be like, okay, what is that about for me? What am I trying to prevent and why? And have they given me any reason, any cause to believe that I should be, I should be navigating through this conversation in this way. And the, really the rules that you just come up with, are they really going to help you feel safer? The chances are they're not. So if you like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to prevent this thing and here are a bunch of rules that are going to make that happen. The, you, it's not even a bandaid. It's just, it's, you're, it's, you're just misguided. You know, you need to understand what is it that you're trying to prevent, prevent and can you flip it into a, into something that you can create, right? So if you want to, if you want to prevent abandonment, right, let's, you do some soul searching and you get to a place and you're like, oh, uh, I'm going to, prevent abandonment and then you can install a bunch of rules or you can come up with a bunch of rules that somehow makes you feel like your partner is going to prevent is not going to abandon you let's say you say they can only speak to this person so many times another way to look at that is well okay what's the opposite of abandonment is connection right what is it going to take for us to create connection connection that feels safe connection that feels secure connection that feels uh, meaningful um connection that feels sustainable connection that feels long lasting right these are all the these are the the sort of the the light side of abandonment and if you can think about well, what would it take for us to create those things then you are going to have much more of a, a, a positive experience and it's going to be about co-creation. It's going to be about agreements. It's about, it's going to be about shared expectations rather than rules, um, punishment. Cause frankly, rules, rules does not create connection. <laughs> I know from experience, yes. you can put as many rules as you want under the, under the idea that really, frankly, rules create longing mm-hmm. for the other person. Rules create confinement, rules create resentment, mm-hmm. which which is, which is the opposite of what you're actually trying to create with those rules. Right, right, right. Um, and we can go through, we can just do a whole episode, frankly, on rules. But and, and this leads to the last question that we are asking people to think through, which is how do you then share your needs? How do you share your desires? How do you communicate? And part of what gets in the way of that is fear. It's what we're talking about, fear of conflict, fear of the worst case, case scenario. I'm going to share this with you and that you're going to then think that I am too emotional or too needy or too clingy or too avoidant or don't care. And you're going to leave. I think that's the important part that they're going to leave and they're going to get up and like slam the door and leave in that moment. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and if, you know, for those of us who are overthinkers may have role played that out in your mind of like, where will I put my stuff and where will they put their stuff? And you start going through these scenarios in your mind rooted in fear around what, around the communication. Sometimes it could be that sometimes it's just lack of language. If you particularly grew up in a household where healthy uh, conflict resolution was not role modeled for you, 
it may be really challenging for you to even find the words to say, this is what I want. This is what I need. Uh, we encourage you to take a look and, and listen at our podcast around nonviolent communication. Um, because there are some really fantastic tools there around how do you have conversations that are rooted in your feelings and your needs and not necessarily the strategies, which is where we actually fight and get in the way. Like, how do we stop ourselves from being violent in the way that we are communicating with each other? Absolutely. And I think no more severe um, this lack of language shows up than it does in sex because it's such a taboo subject and such a stigmatized subject that I come across a lot of the time that when people are people we don't talk about sex right and then sometimes it's because we don't have language and I think the the so the last episode we did with Jessie Fresh that was talking she was talking about blueprints the, the erotic blueprints one of the, the my, one of my biggest takeaways is like oh regardless of which blueprint you identify with whether you believe in the mod- the model or not is it's giving you language it's giving you language that allows you to talk about senses and arousal and pleasure and touch and the way to like g- get um, feedback from your partner all that kind of stuff is a lot of the time it's just lack of language we just don't know the words um, to ask for things we don't know the combination of the words to make requests without it sounding like a demand or uh, without it with it really getting to the heart of what is it that we need you know and one of the things that you say that I, I think is is pretty profound is this idea of that words and language and shared language will get us on the same page, maybe not the same paragraph or the same line. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about things like the erotic blueprint or love languages, those are tools to give us some sense of language so that we can get on the same page with each other and say, this is what, and then mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about relationship by design is that we can go into more nuance and say, well, let me now take mm-hmm. you to the right paragraph and to the, the right line that while this love language is generally true for me, for me, let me show you specifically how that shows up. Or while this sexual blueprints, this erotic blueprint is true for me. Let me show let me tell you a little bit exactly about what I like in that space. Yeah. And so sometimes again, it could be fear, it could be lack of of language around it, or could be just low self-worth. Sometimes what gets in the way of communication is the feeling that we don't believe that we deserve whatever it is that we're asking for. And again, it's just another place for us to do the work and understand what part of our history has allowed us to feel that way and what's the work that we need to do to get out of that. And then, of course, his communication style. You know, in my house, we, we joke that my, my partner is, loves the highlights and I like the fine print, that I, want, I would love a transcript of every single meeting and conversation that she's in. And she just wants to know if I had a good day. And so sometimes communication style could just be about that and figuring out the happy medium, which leads to negotiation. Like, wh- what is that going to look like? How do you negotiate well? You know, I've been talking about that for a while, that we want to get an expert negotiator in to really teach us some skill sets around influence and negotiation. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk through that, you know, on, on June 24th, we'll talk through some more details around How do you understand what your communication style is and how do you come up with some strategies together so that you can do the work on your own to unpack who you are and what's been going on in your history that has brought you to this place and then figure out how to have that dialogue together and how to co-create the next steps together. Absolutely. And frankly, whether you're interested in non-monogamy or not, understanding your needs, desires, history, and communication style will help you thrive in any style of relationship you choose to be in. And that also goes for non-romantic relationships. This goes for professional relationships. This goes for familial relationships. In order to connect, you have to connect from a place of self-knowledge. And we need connections for any kind of relationship. So whatever you're working on, whatever relationship that you want to have growth in, this is going to be applicable. So if you want to receive a packet of tools to help you reflect on your needs, your desires, and, uh, and your opening up process, do join Jackie and me on Wednesday, June 24th in the virtual Curiosity Salon um, at 8 p.m. Eastern, where we'll be taking you through this process step by step. Uh, we talked about all the areas that we're going to be covered. What we do realize, as we mentioned at the beginning, is it's easy to say those things and it can be very hard to reflect on those po- on these points. So what we're going to do is really help you dig down uh, and answer these questions and give you points of reflection, give you story, give you inspiration and permission to really get to know yourself and and provide a way of thinking that even if you don't want to necessarily one of our format, it will give you a way of thinking about who you are and how you can communicate that to your partner or partners. And you hopefully will walk, walk away with something that will be the foundational element of the opening up process. 
you can find the tickets for our, our workshop um, pretty much anywhere. They're available on our Facebook page, our Instagram bio, on our website. Um, if you search for We Are Curious Foxes, pretty much anywhere we come up. That's We Are Curious Foxes. And uh, you can also see what else we're doing in the Virtual Curiosity Salon. If you go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly forward slash Virtual Curiosity Salon, you can see what, what else is coming up. Um, and we'd love to see you. If you are in the future, so if you are hearing this and it is past June 24th and you're like, no, no. I missed it. You're in luck. Yeah. You can join our Patreon. And as a Patreon member, you will have access to the recordings, not only of this workshop, but all of the virtual workshops that we have done. And when we met together as people, do we remember that? Yes. We did live things too at some point, Effie Blue. We have those recordings as well. So if you're a patron, then you can have access to all of the videos of all of our workshops. You have access to Ask Me Anything at Sessions with Effie Blue, where you can ask mm -hmm. questions about your own relationship and your own work. You can get free tickets and uh, discount tickets to our events. So you can come to our future events for $5, depending on your tier. You, We have free uh, social events that are exclusively for our Patreon members where we meet once a month and we connect and we talk. Um, we will do happy hours in person again at some point. Right now we're doing them virtually. But there's so many opportunities for you to be more engaged and get more information that will help you on your journey. If you can access us via Patreon, you'll find those things. You can find us, as Effie said, on Facebook and on Instagram at We Are Curious Foxes. You can also find us personally. You can find Effie at Coach Effie Blue. That's at Coach Effie Blue and myself at Jacqueline Misla on Instagram. And if you are interested in the work that we are doing on this podcast, then we ask you to share it, to like it, to review it. It really makes a difference. We are thrilled every time that we get notes from folks telling us about the work that we are doing and the impact that it has had, more so because this is real for us. This is our life journeys that we are exploring and unpacking alongside with you. And so we love to hear that feedback and we love to hear feedback around what people want to hear us talk about. And so if you believe in, in, in hashtag change the noise and you want to be a part of that, then we ask you to let us know what do you want to hear. And you can reach out to us by email at listening at We Are Curious Foxes, or you can give us a call and leave us a message or a question, and we can replay re your recording on the podcast and answer it. And that phone number is 201-870-0063. Yes, you can contact us. We're here. We'll listen, and we will respond um, the best of our abilities. <laughs> and as always, friends, stay, stay curious. curious. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.